Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your College Hooper of the Week is James Sutherland, former forward for the Syracuse Orange. James Sutherland was a big man who could stretch the floor, had a nice shooting stroke. Uh, Those early 2010 Orange teams were very good. James Sutherland, College Hooper of the Week. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. in delaying what we have on tap for you. We have a terrific interview with former guard at USC and also Gonzaga, Byron Wesley. He's now a pro playing overseas. Like I said, let's not delay this any further. So without further ado, here's Byron Wesley. All right, we now welcome to the program former USC and Gonzaga guard, professional ball player, 
Byron Wesley. Byron, welcome again to the program. We were just talking about it before I smashed the record button. And thank you so much for staying up. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're at right now? What are you up to? Yeah, and man, also uh, what time it is. Glad, yeah, first of all, glad glad to be here, man. Uh, yeah, so I've had quite the journey, man. Uh, finished playing college in 2015. Um, decided to play professional ever since. Um, I've been in the G League. Played in Europe, played in the Middle East and Israel for a couple of years, played in France earlier this year, uh, been in Poland, been in Finland, and now I'm in Iraq right now, which is for sure the most unique place I've been, but uh, it's been a b- pretty good experience so far. You've been you've been all over the place. I wanted to ask you real quick, though, like, were you were you in France when COVID hit? Where exactly were you? When, no, I was when actually in Finland when, when COVID first started. Um, they took things pretty serious out there uh we got we probably ended around february uh, we had a couple months left in season uh it sucks that we couldn't really go to playoffs but uh yeah from there uh it, it ended and i actually uh was out for close to a year because of covid uh, just because the market was pretty pretty weird during this time um not a lot of teams know what they were going to do and then um earlier this year around maybe early February, I went to France and I played there to finish the season out. Right. So because you brought it up, let's talk about playing basketball in Iraq, I guess, real quick before we go back in time here. So what's the biggest difference about even just living in Iraq versus in Europe or even back in the United States? Yeah, man. I mean, well, first it's, uh, I would say the first thing is that it's a, it's a Muslim country. So, you know, the, the things that we're accustomed to, even in Europe, as opposed to the United States, is just, it's a lot different here culturally. Um, I, I guess it's still considered a third world country, so you got to take that into perspective. Um, things are still are still developing here, um, still considered a war zone, I guess, even though it's been pretty safe since I've been here. Uh, a lot of, a lot of army everywhere you look, man. Um, a lot of, I guess you could say poverty, um, but it's been good. It's been a humbling experience, and surprisingly, I'm making the most money of my career, so that is definitely a big reason why I came here. That's certainly a consolation prize for sure. I mean, is there yeah. is there an aspect of you, though, that gets a little homesick at times, which obviously would would make complete sense, but you know, are you able to keep in touch with your family, friends that are stateside? Uh, yeah, that's the good thing that we have about these iPhones now, man. Uh, I, I can still pretty much talk to everybody in my family when I want. Um, sometimes it's at the expense of staying up late, like right now, you know, but it's all right as far as that goes. Um, the social life does get a little hard at times, though, because there's not really much social life here. Um, probably the least amount of social life I've experienced since I've been playing overseas, you know, um, not a lot of things to do. Um, so I just say to myself, but it, it's, it's been a good experience and um, still dealing with COVID and everything. I think it's a good place to be right now. So you talked about the social life here a little bit, but and, and also making the most money that you have in your career is, is, yeah. is obviously a big part of it. But how important is it for for you or, you know, ball players kind of of your similar ilk to to always continue their career going no matter where it might be in in the world really um yeah it's important i would say not only for yourself but for your career you know um teams are really are really specific overseas on um where the players played last um where he was what he did and if they see gaps in your resume it can definitely hurt you um this kind of hurt me from the start of my career um after 
after I finished at Gonzaga, I took a little time off, um, and I didn't end up starting the G League until I want to say um, January. So th- this kind of set me back a little bit as far as Europe goes, and um, I had to unfortunately start in the lower league um, to start. So yeah, playing and and regardless of where you're playing, um, playing well, putting up good numbers, and winning is is definitely important. So we'll take it back to your high school days. And obviously this is a college hoops show. We're we're going to get to your USC and Gonzaga days, but let's start with freshman year of high school. I saw that you were able to play for your dad a freshman year. What's, what was that experience like? Was he your toughest critic? Was he your toughest coach? Man, tell us about playing for your dad. Uh, You guys did your homework, bro. I've actually never been asked that before in, in any interviews. Uh, but yeah, my dad was easily my toughest critic, the hardest person I ever had to play for. Um, he comes from an army background. Um, he grew up in South Central, um, so yeah, he's a tough guy, man. And and he made me tough at a young age. He he helped me to a very high standard, um, which which kind of helped me. Which not kind of it, it really helped me throughout my career. So um, yeah, going from there um, to to the schools that I played, um, he had a real big impact. And when I was a freshman, I was probably playing close to the, the center position, you know, so he really helped me work on my game. So what is it about uh, being a coach's son? Because we see this a lot in college basketball, especially in high school, but as it then relates yeah. to college basketball, what is it about you think being a coach's son that gives you such an advantage? Is it playing from an early age? Is it having the right mentality the whole time? Is it having someone push you the whole time? Or is it kind of a combination of all of these factors? Um, for me, it was just being held accountable all the time. You know, um, like I said, my dad is not is not the type of background to sugarcoat things with me or or really ever tell me what I want to hear. Even if I'm playing well, he, he most likely wouldn't tell me, you know. So uh, just just being held to a high standard, being held accountable um, at such a young age. I will admit I kind of hated it, you know. Uh, at first, it took me some getting used to it. Now that I'm older, I really appreciate it, you know. But at the time, it got hard, you know. And, and uh, a lot of players, you're going to hear a lot, of, a lot of players talking shit too, man, you know, saying that uh, you're only playing because you're dead and, things like this. So it, it got a little frustrating sometimes, you know, but in the long run, yeah, it helped me out so much. I mean, when you said accountability, that was the first thing that came to mind because I've never yeah. played a sport for, for my mom or my dad, but that is usually the thing that sort of plagues those kids around is, well, you know, he's obviously getting X amount of playing time because uh, yeah. he's, he's playing for his dad. So that was something that you had to deal with, huh? <clears throat> yeah, for sure, man. And, and like I said, uh, I heard a lot of shit, man, but uh, I just got used to it, bro. And and it started even from him being a teacher at my same school. So we would uh, we would go to the we would go to the gym. Probably school starts at eight. We would be in the gym by maybe seven a.m. every day. You know, before school started, doing a full workout, um, staying late after practice. You know, and then having to hear my dad talking to me, going to the gym, coming from coming home from school every day, coming home from practice every day, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was tough, but it definitely helped me in the long run. As as a guy who also had a parent as a teacher in his same school, I get it's like, Jesus, can we get a fucking break here? You know, yeah. like, I can't even <laughs> spell, I can't get 10 <laughs> minutes away. <laughs> right. Yeah, man, so. I, I needed a break. Uh, and that's why I was kind of happy. Um, I, I went in a different direction the next year for sure. Yeah, right. yeah so, I mean, you you segued perfectly man you could be hosting this show i was going to ask you <laughs> what was going through your head did you have a sit down with your dad about 
you know, you transferred to, I think, a couple other schools during your high school career. Was it yeah. mostly because you needed to take that next level step up and say, hey, I need to showcase a little bit more Were these schools better? What was that thought process like? And was it a difficult decision, especially having played for your dad? Um, well, it's funny to ask that there actually were budget cuts going on in the in the district this year that that year. And so my dad actually, unfortunately, he ended up losing his job as a teacher at the school. He was a PE teacher and he ended up losing his job because of budget cuts. He had to go to a, I think he went back to a middle school after this. So uh, I really had no choice to transfer. You know, I was only at this school because my dad was the coach there. And since it was his first year, he had no tenure really. Um, he he lost his job pretty early. So so after, after the season finished, we had to... Uh, we had to make a decision on where to go. And um, I'm from the Inland Empire, grew up in the San Bernardino area. So the best school in that area has always been Cajon. And um, that's kind of what led me there. Um, went there. And this is when I really probably took the biggest step in my high school career. Uh, transitioned my game completely to, to being a guard. Um, we had a really good season. Um, lost early in the playoffs, but had a really good team. Uh, I made All-State. And, uh, yeah. After that, I ended up going to Etiwanda um, just because they're known as probably the best school in the Inland Empire, you know, year in, year out. And uh, got to play for one of the best, if not the best, coaches in California and Coach Kleckner. So, so real, real quick, Taylor, before you jump in, are you, when you were in college and, you know, you got your name announced during the starting lineup, things like that, you played yeah. for three high schools. Were you able to tell the PA announcer, like, yo, I want to be Byron <laughs> Wesley from this high school and which one did you choose yeah no i i just went with uh I, I thought it would be a little too much you know they might get confused on announcing all the high schools so i went to the school i spent the most time at which was cajon i was there for two years you know and i graduated from so i just thought it was it would be best to go to go with them so you scored 19 points a game in your junior and senior year obviously yeah. you're playing in it for really good teams in the state of california and yeah. for really good coaches how does you know, the recruiting work as, you know, someone from the Inland Empire versus maybe someone from, you know, the any of the coastal cities, but also, you know, bringing your dad back up. What do schools look for when you are a coach's son? Do they look at that as a as a big, you know, like boon for your uh, recruitment? Do they look at that as a big positive, you think? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the number one thing with me when I was young was work ethic. Um, anybody that knew me from growing up, and knew my dad from growing up, knew that we we worked extremely hard together. Um, my dad is a big credit to to all my success, you know, and and the, the coaches recruiting me definitely knew that. Um, <clears throat> they knew my dad had been a coach for a while. Um, he had coached some really good players out of the Inland Empire. And so um, that I think that definitely helped, you know, um, just, just being cut from that cloth. Um, and then going to play for another great coach like Coach Kleckner, um, who, who holds guys at such a high standard and holds guys accountable as well. Um, I, I think it boded well for for me and for coaches that were recruiting me to kind of trust that I would be a good player for their for their program. So let's talk about that recruitment then. Yeah. You're I mean you're one of the few guys that we've had on the program that has played at the highest level of college basketball clearly. Can you take yeah. us into what it was like when all these coaches were reaching out to you? Who exactly was reaching out to you? Obviously, you committed to USC and you went to play play there, but who else was there outside yeah. of just Kevin O'Neill? Um, well, I I, uh, I committed early. I committed my junior year, beginning of my junior year. So 
I didn't go through the the recruitment as intense as a lot of other players. Um, early on, like I would say my my sophomore year, I started getting schools like Pepperdine and UNLV coming out to watch me. Um, and then from that, it, it kind of grew um, to, to Pac-12 schools sending me letters and going to their elite camps during the summers. Um, I went to Cal elite camp. I went to UCLA elite camp. And I was getting a lot of interest from all these schools, you know, but um, UCLA was one of the first schools. To, I mean, not UCLA, sorry. USC was one of the first schools to uh, to come in and offer me. Definitely not UCLA. I'm, I'm glad I didn't go there, man. But <laughs> yeah, SC was one of the first schools to actually come in and offer me. Um, and uh, like I said, I committed earlier. I kind of knew uh, where I wanted to go. Um, I mean, when I got that offer, it was just like, uh, what more can I ask for? You know, as a Southern California kid, um, went on a visit there. And yeah, that's how it started. So Kevin O'Neill is a, seems like an interesting guy. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> to say <laughs> the <know>. least. <laughs> So you you can dive into as many of those stories as possible or, you know, as, as much as you'd like. But when it came to your recruitment and this is nothing against Kevin O'Neill, how I'm saying this, but yeah, would it have mattered who was coaching USC? But when you got that USC offer, was it like, oh, I'm I'm going there? Um, I think it, it would have mattered. But the the most important thing to me, not only was it being offered from USC was was um the program and where it was at and, and the guys that they had in place. And, um, you know, if, if I could come in and be an impact, I wanted to be a guy coming in out of high school um, and not really having a red shirt, not really having to um, sit on the bench and, and getting a chance to, to play a lot of minutes, you know, and that was the main deciding factor, I would say, um, as far as picking a school, I saw that uh, I would, I would have a good chance to play early, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer, you know, when I put everything together and um, just looked in the program's direction where they were headed and the relationship I built with, with Kevin O'Neill and uh, the other coaches. Yeah, it just kind of seemed like the right fit. So I'll connect a couple of our guests that we've had in the past. One was a former walk-on at Michigan State, Joe Sweeney, and he shared a really funny story about how Tom Izzo got so purple in his face when he got mad at practice one day. And we actually had uh, Jamal Body on the program a few months ago. He was yeah. sharing a little bit about That's my guy. That Jamal is Body. your guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were curious. I mean, can you share any any uh, practice stories from Kevin O'Neill or maybe in, in a timeout where you were just like, God damn, this guy is not thrilled at the moment. Or maybe on the flip side, one of the funniest you've seen him around. Just any sort of stories that you have. Um. I mean, I have so many stories from KO, man. He was he was crazy, but uh, probably the first time I realized he was a real deal was was um, we were getting ready for a Brazil trip. Um, this was my fresh going my freshman summer, so I had just got on campus and um, we were getting ready to take our, our our trip to Brazil, and we had a we had a practice and it was an open practice, so parents and and family members could come out and watch, man, and. It was a starter practice, and um, we were doing a three-man weave drill, and he just let us have it, man. And, he, and I'm talking, my parents were sitting on the court, like, right there, you know, and other parents were around. And I'm not allowed to repeat what he was saying to us, but it was like, man, he just from the, the very start of practice, a simple three-on-three drill. Um, and, and, man, he just let us have it. And 
I was like, I guess he doesn't care that my mom is like right here watching, you know, and I'm talking anywhere, every cuss word you can think of in the book. Um, and, and from there on, it was pretty much a regular, regular occurrence with him. Um, going into my season, um, going into the season, we had a workout and I was a freshman and uh we started the we started the practice it was just me and another guy doing individuals and um the first drill we had was was full court uh, full court layups and it was just me and one other guy and the goal was to just sprint literally as fast as you can and we did it probably for 10 20 minutes um until we started throwing up and he wasn't pleased man sent us downstairs fucking uh had to regroup and then uh, had to come back in later that day you know and do the same thing i mean every individual was was so hard for him and it was such a big adjustment for me at the time you know um just playing at that pace he wanted us to play at all the time and constantly hearing all the things he was saying to us man it was it was definitely tough um the biggest the biggest thing I would say early from KO was we had a when we went to this to this trip in Brazil, um, you know, I had been playing at a high level in high school. I'd played my whole life basically it, until this point. And uh we got out there and I thought everything was sweet and dandy, you know, I was gonna be playing and I was on the bench glued for pretty much the whole trip, you know. And uh after this trip I, I really wanted to transfer. I was just so mad, so upset all the time, you know. Um KO was was a, complete jackass to me this whole time man like like he was just a dickhead to me man the whole time bro and I guess it was just as a freshman you know welcoming me in but I, I had never experienced it so I was just like man what's going on like what am I doing wrong I had to carry the, the bags everywhere Gatorade sitting at the end of the bench man getting cussed out in the hotels going to my room like it was crazy but uh I would say that that was a big part of my career because from from then on, I, I just started working so hard, you know, and I think that was a big reason of why I was able to start as a freshman, you know, and uh, gain his gain his confidence, um, just able to get past that, you know, and, and continue to look forward. So there's definitely a certain type of player that can play for Kevin O'Neill, and it's not it's not the person that's like. Not motivated by that type of stuff, I guess. No, I, I saw a lot of people fold under uh, under under KO's under his tenure there, man. You got to be tough skinned man, and, and strong minded for sure. When when recruits would come in over the course of your career to USC, well, Kevin O'Neill was there. Did did anybody ever come visit and you were like, oh man, this guy's fucked if he comes here, like or anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is, is no, I, I I wouldn't even tell him, man. Uh, I would just say. Uh, come to the practice and you'll see for yourself, you know, you don't even, it's not even a secret, you know, uh, I, I wasn't going to tell anybody anything, man. You could come to the practice and you'll see for practice. As soon as you s watch five, 10 minutes of our practice, you'll see. Oh, another crazy thing from KO was we used to, we used to tape on game days. Um, I'm talking in, in shoot around, you know, we would have shoot around every morning before the game and usually with most teams you're just doing some some shooting some walkthrough um going through teams plays going through your plays but we would actually get in there man and 
and we would have to tape up for our shoot around because we would be in shoot around practice, like complete practice, full on practice, same day of game, man. Just bust out like a full sweat and shoot around. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking a real hard practice. Like, oh my god, no walkthrough at all. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's a hell of a story. So you talk about that adjustment your freshman year, not only personnel wise with your coach, but also team success. You come from a high school days where you're just you're a winner, point blank period. And your first season, you guys finished six and twenty six, one and seventeen in the Pac twelve. Correct me if I'm wrong. There, what was the most part about, or what was the most difficult part about? losing and just only winning six games after having been such a successful player team wise in high school. Yeah, it was, it was frustrating. Um, even though I was a freshman, like you said, I had never lost this much in my career. So at any level, so it was, it was, it was weird time for me. Um, like I said, it was frustrating. And then to top it off, having a coach like KO while you're losing, (laughs) it's not going to help, you know? So, um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. Learned a lot about myself. Learned a lot about my teammates then, um, you know. But but I think it it all worked out f- for the better. You know, um, it's it's better to take those lumps early, you know, and and try to build off that. And um, I would say a good takeaway from that would be after after my season finished, um, we had a team meeting and and coach said it was really only two guys that had earned his respect. Um, moving forward into the next season. And it was me and, and our point guard at the time, Maurice Jones. So um, that, that definitely meant a lot for me to hear him say that, you know. Um, but, but yeah, it was tough losing, especially when you go into college thinking you're going to um, be playing great and be, be winning at a high level. And you're playing in Pac-12 where it's so much exposure, you know. Um, it's definitely tough to be losing it at such a high clip like that. So – as hard as KO was on you, you did have assistant coaches like Bob Cantu, Dieter Horton, Tony Miller. Yeah. Did, any, did yeah. any of those guys ever come to you or any of the other students or other players and just be like, hey, it's all going to be good? Or was there a good cop, bad cop situation at all with some of those? Um, yeah, Tony Miller was was definitely a good a good good coach to have in your corner. Um, he he pretty much talked to, to me and all the other players and, and just tried to keep us positive. Um, he knew how KO was. Um, I think he had played for him before in his career, so so he he kind of knew, he kind of um, told us what to expect, and and anytime we, I mean, Ko pretty much bothered everybody on the team, you know, at some point or or another, you know, so um, he he had to definitely talk to us a lot, but but it, it was good, it was good. He he helped us out a lot, man, and and we needed him for sure. You played a season under Andy Enfield, though, right? Was that your last yeah, season? Yeah, yeah. I played my junior year. So how was playing for Andy Enfield? What kind of coach was he when, when you first met him and playing through that season, especially compared to a KO maybe? Polar opposite, to be honest. <laughs> uh, we played – we played um, – we had an offense where it was just really wide open. You know, we could attack, and we really had no limits, especially if he was one of the guys he trusted in. Um like to get up and down the court, um, you know, with KO, we were playing a lot slower um, tempo, um, completely defensive oriented with KO. Um, so, yeah, it was just a lot different. But but I think um, Coach Enfield, he came at the, the perfect time for me in my career where I had been working so hard and was ready to make the next jump and uh, really show my game. And when he came, I, I was able to show my game um, completely, you know, so. 
it all worked out pretty good for me. What's it like going through that type of coaching change where one coach gets let go? And then especially with Andy Enfield coming in, because I, you know, a lot of the outsiders, I think myself and, and Taryn included, were like, okay, yeah. Andy Enfield, he's kind of a flash in the pan, Florida Gulf yeah. Coast guy. Like, is he actually, can he sustain this at, at, at USC? What's it like to go through that process and then kind of hear kind of the chirps in the background about what your new coach may or may not be like? And FYI, real quick, that's clearly been disproven. Andy Enfield's done a yeah, terrific clearly, job clearly. at USC. Yeah. yeah, no, man, uh, it's definitely tough. Being a guy who who played for three coaches, um, KO, then, then Coach Cantu, and then Enfield, um, it's definitely tough, and it's an adjustment, you know, especially um, when you know um, most mostly everybody on the team is, is not one of Enfield's recruits, you know, so um, – Having to having to completely change the system in in such a short time, I think was difficult, you know. And um, yeah, I think that's why we we struggled a lot with with Coach Enfield early. Um, guys were were completely used to a, a different system, myself included. And um, when when Enfield came, we kind of had to rearrange that and, and learn on the go. And um, yeah, like I said, we had really none of his recruits were playing with us yet. It was all KO's team still. So um, yeah, it was tough, man. It was tough. But personally for me, it, it worked out really good for me. Let's pivot now to your time at Gonzaga and take me through the transfer process. Okay. So you're entering your senior season. Were you targeting Gonzaga? Did Mark Few reach out to you? What does that process look like for you when you were making that decision? <laughs> Yeah, man. So uh, I had just, after my season at USC, you know, um, I felt a little underappreciated in the Pac-12. You know, I had played really, really at a, at a high level. I, I felt like um, averaging close to 18, I think like maybe close to seven rebounds a game. Um, so I, uh, I I didn't make all Pac-12 or not even honorable mention. And I got a little frustrated with that on top of the losing Um on top of the the program not being so stable at the time and um there was a new rule in college this year uh, i think it had been maybe one or two years old at this point where if you graduate you can um you can transfer and play right away and just enroll in a master's program or something like this so uh, i had been going to summer school every year long story short um i got kind of ahead of on my uh, curriculum there so i was able to graduate that summer and um yeah just being I was pretty frustrated, man. I'll be honest. I was pretty frustrated with, with all the losing and stuff. So I, I decided to transfer that summer. And, um, yeah, early on, I, I got a lot of interest from some from some really big schools. And um, Gonzaga was right there in the mix, you know, um, from the beginning. So, yeah, I, I was definitely interested in Gonzaga. I knew, um, I mean, everybody knows about what they've done on the West Coast, you know, for some time now. So, yeah, that's kind of how I, how I got introduced to them. So you you kind of brought it up a little bit, but when you're a grad transfer, you know, you've got your last year to pretty much showcase your abilities, essentially. Are you, was your mentality, clearly you kind of already said it was, oh, finding a winning program, but is there part of you where it's also like, okay, I, this is my last year to showcase my skills and, and abilities. So maybe I need more playing time versus my, you know, winning or are both kind of equal factors, you think? Uh man, I'll say um, for me, what, what kind of hurt me was was I was just most the most important thing to me was winning. Um, like I said, coming from a program where we had been um, 
had a lot of instability, you know. I just wanted to be in a program that was stable, um, that was winning, that had a chance to go compete in the NCAA tournament and uh, and make a run for it. And when I was looking for my next school, um, it was important for me to be in a program where I could where I could showcase myself. But I would say even above that, I had prioritized winning. And um, yeah, that was that was definitely the most important thing as far as choosing my school. And I think that's what we're seeing now, especially with the guys that Mark Few's recruiting, because yeah. there's a lot of coaches that have L.A. in their backyard. They have some beautiful backdrop, right? Uh, yeah. It's tough to recruit to Spokane, Washington. You're a Southern California kid. Like, yeah. So obviously you prioritize winning, as you said, ad nauseum. Uh, but now Mark Few's getting like five-star recruits. He's getting number one, number yeah, two, for sure. eight overall picks. Like what? what is he selling at Spokane? Is it the stability? Is it the winning? Because I don't think people are going for the summer vacations. Yeah. Uh, during summer, it's actually nice there. You'd be surprised. But uh, uh, I, I think, man, I, I deserve a little credit for for kind of starting a trend of, of, of high-level transfers going to Gonzaga for sure, man, because uh, I was one of the first – players from a from a, a high d1 to transfer to gonzaga you know um like the, the grad transfer rule was early i was one of the first guys that they got access to that but uh yeah man um coach she was he's he he's a great salesman i'll say that much um they were they were um they were pretty persistent throughout my throughout my um recruitment um came to my house uh, met my family you know we said a lot um we all know Coach Hugh is a is a is a really well respected coach, and so it it showed how how important I was to them at the time. Um, and yeah, he just he just basically stressed um at that time how good the team was. Um, we had a really good unit at, at Gonzaga, a really good roster at that time, and he just stressed how how important it would be if I could come there and help. Um, said that they had never really experienced a player like me. Um, and just, uh, just showed that they had a spot for me. And, uh, when I went on my visit there, you know, the guys just opened me with, with, uh, they welcomed me with open arms, you know, they were all, um, really good with me. Um, had a great visit, got to, uh, got to play with the guys. Um, they had a really good relationship with my family as well, you know, and I, and I think everybody just felt safe in my family, um, that it was, it was the right choice, um just as far as what I was looking for at the time, which was winning number one. Um, and we knew that me going there would, would have a, a great chance to win at a high level. Well, you, you did a hell of a lot of that 35 <laughs> wins. And that, I mean, sure, I, I, without looking at the numbers, you probably won close to as many games at Gonzaga as you did across yeah. a three year stretch. That's, that's a fact, man. That's a fact. Uh, it was a complete, complete 180 for me. <clears throat> you know, and it was a, it was, it, it took some time for me to, to, uh, to get used to winning again. Um, but we had a great team and, um, really good team. And, and I'm glad I was able to kind of end on a bang like that. So I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, you played with guys like, uh, Karnowski and you had fellow guards like Gary Bell Jr. Kevin yeah. Pango, Sabonis yeah. was a freshman that year. These are, all West Coast Conference guys, some NBA guys in there. Did you ever have yeah. any like aha moments where you're like, "Holy shit, this is a <laughs> lot of fun," you know, compared yeah, to you know uh, the struggle that you'd been through? Uh, yeah, early in the season when when we started practicing, um, I just saw how dedicated everybody was to to the program and 
into winning, you know, um, hadn't really experienced that at USC. Um, we had a lot of different egos and personalities at USC and just, just a lot of different shit going on at USC, man. You know, being in LA, um, guys weren't really focused on basketball hundred percent of the time, but, um, living in Spokane, man, there's not much to do, but focus on basketball, you know? So, uh, we, we had guys that were really focused, and that was probably the, the main thing I would say from the beginning, um, guys with great work ethics. And um, just, just the culture and the overall camaraderie, um, doing team-building exercises before the season started, um, going on on trips to the, to the lake, um, just spending a lot of time with my teammates, man. That was probably the, the number one thing I picked up on early. Um, and not even getting to the talent on the court, you know, um, having so much size, um, having guys pretty much at every position being so deep. And, um, yeah, we had a lot of talent on that team, man. Practices used to be fucking intense every day for sure. I, be- I believe it. And to me, Gonzaga, for, for college basketball lovers like us at, at our age, we've seen Gonzaga grow from honestly an infant to a giant now. But that yeah. 2014 year when you went 35-3, and three, which is an outrageous number – that's kind of now what Gonzaga is putting up these days. So I think for me, that was the first year where it's like, okay, Gonzaga is now a perennial one seed lock, not just a really good team, which they were the past few years, not just yeah. a team that might get to the elite eight as yeah. uh, you know, a special team. These guys are going to be competing for one seeds uh, throughout the rest of the, their future. And that I think was the very first year that that team that you had mentioned with all those studs. Yeah, for sure, man. I think that we, we were, pretty responsible for the trend that you're seeing in Gonzaga today. You know, uh, I don't think we, we always get the credit for that, but yeah, we kind of did start that. Um, I mean, at the time we were the most efficient team in the country. Um, and I would say at, at that, after finishing that season, we were the best team in Gonzaga history up until, you know, when we had finished, um, obviously the teams that came after us were, went a little further. So, so they, they, it's, it's debatable, you know, they, they might get the, the nod, but up until that time we were looked at as probably the best team in Gonzaga history, which is, has a lot of good teams in the history, you know? So uh, yeah, it was, I think it was important for us just to, I, I kind of knew how people looked at Gonzaga and said that they could only compete against the teams in the WCC, you know, but from having played in the Pac-12 for three years, I knew as soon as I got there that, oh, no, we can compete against anybody in the country, you know, and um, had a couple tough losses. Otherwise, we could have gotten to that one seed, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. The big question I want to know, and we'll get into some of the tournament uh, success yeah. that you guys had, especially that year. But the big question I want to know is when you first saw Shemek Karnowski, man, were you just like, good <laughs> God, how how is this how is this human this big? Man, yeah, uh, I had played with some other seven-footers before. Uh, my roommate, at, my roommate at USC was Dwayne Dedman. So I, I was used to being around seven footers, you know, but uh, I had never seen a seven footer at, at, at this size. You know, I was like, man, this guy is huge. But uh, as soon as I played with him, I was like, man, he has great touch. He has great vision. Um, he was one of the best passers on the team, you know, and his feel for the game was, was great. Um, for his size, he was, he was pretty mobile and, he was pretty much unstoppable, you know, especially in our conference. Um, yeah, he was a huge piece of our success for sure. And yeah. I, I, I saw him a couple years ago when I was in Poland. Um, got a chance to hang out with him a little before the game. Um, he was back playing there. So that's awesome. 
Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty good experience. That's that's sure. a good reunion. Sorry, Taylor, but you know how amazing of a passer you really have to be as a big man if your teammates telling you that you're one of the best passing guys yeah. on the team and the son of Arvidas Sabonis is also on that team. Like, yeah. think about how good of a passer Karnowski had. The, the crazy thing is, man, Sabonis didn't even start on this team. Right, I remember that, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and to be quite honest with you, I never thought he was going to become – uh, the NBA player that he continues to be today, just because yeah. he didn't really get a lot of PT on that team. You know, was, yeah. I mean, he got a good amount, but I, I never was like, oh yeah, he's going to be like a perennial NBA player. You know, like I never thought that yeah. with him. Clearly, yeah, I was for sure. clearly yeah. I was wrong though. Yeah, yeah, that was a bad take, man. But uh, he uh, he was he, he was great. We just were so deep, you know, and we had Kyle Wilcher at the four who was unstoppable man i've never seen a player score as effortlessly as kyle did ever in practice man he used to fucking kill everybody every day in practice so uh yeah it was it was tough for sabonis at that time but i think it was good for him early in his career to kind of be humbled a bit um i saw personally um firsthand how hard he worked and he was one of the hardest workers on the team you know he was in there every night working on his game so um it's a testament to him and why he's having so much success today, you know, as, as well as coming from a, from a great background. So, so I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, going back a question here about, you know, how you were kind of the, the, the trendsetters of sorts uh, to, mm-hmm. you know, cause even those Kelly Olenek teams, I was like, yeah, these, these guys ain't winning shit, you know, like, <laughs> you, you know, whatever. And full disclosure, my family lived in Spokane for 25 years, still does. Yeah. Like, I, I remember the Dan Monson original, original, okay, original yeah. elite yeah, so eight you know. run. I have. Yeah, okay. Um, John Stockton's wife is from where I'm from. And yeah. so I know all of his nieces and nephews. So I've always been full disclosure. I've always been a Gonzaga hater. Cause I, I know all of uh, these, all of these Gonzaga, a Gonzaga fan. No, I've always been a hater. I've always been a okay. hater. So, but it's hard. It's there's, there's no hate to be had now because I mean, there's just nothing to hate on now, yeah. but so anyway, seeing this, uh, seeing this evolution of Gonzaga basketball to, uh-huh. to just a, a full dominant, team within the west coast conference what was it like to play going from the pac-12 where you know every school is quote-unquote a big school to going to play yeah. yeah pepperdine on a wednesday night what what kind of transition was that like and was that kind of funny for you in a lot of ways where you're playing again in front of like 400 people uh you know in malibu versus you know like yeah. fifteen thousand people in the pac-12 for sure, man. Uh, it was a big adjustment for me, but but it was fun, bro, to be honest. Um, you know, we were anywhere that year from number two to number 10 at all times. So we were ranked pretty high, man. So we were getting sold out crowds everywhere we went, you know. And I don't know if you've ever been to a game at USC at the Galen Center, but those games are far from being sold out, you know. So uh, so it was it was it was fun for me. Um getting a chance to play against all these schools that I had never played before. Um, my family being in California, getting a chance to go to a lot of these games, you know? Um, yeah, it was good. It was a good experience for me for sure. And then of course, uh, beating the shit out of all these teams, you know, was, was the best part of it, you know, um, finally getting to win and, and, and really killing these teams every night uh, was great. Was it kind of a nice revenge tour for you being a Southern California kid? Because you Gonzaga always plays a lot of Pac-12 schools, and they yeah. play a lot of California schools, schools that you yeah. were potentially recruited to. Was it a nice little revenge tour to go through them all and just be like, yeah, fuck you guys. I'm beating yeah. the shit out of you now. For sure, man. I, 
I was I just felt like I was a completely different person at this point. Like, man, you guys can't tell me anything now, bro. I went from I went from the depths of the fucking depths, man, at USC, bro, not even close to winning anything. So now we're top five in the country, number two, number three in the country, you know, like yeah, it was a great feeling for sure. And then like I said, to be able to be in the West Coast Conference and play all these all these teams that might not be as big, but you still know these teams and you've still grown up watching these teams. And um, yeah, it was fun, man. Uh, being, getting a chance to play on, on, on national television so much um, and being America's team, like they say, you know, man, we, we got a lot of support and we got some crazy fans in Gonzaga, man. And uh, it was a, it was a great experience for me as far as that goes. Yeah, so we know about the the kennel and how wild of a place that is to play. Uh, This is a series of questions that Taylor and I ask every single guest, and you sort of alluded to a few uh, arenas. What is the number one road arena that was the toughest atmosphere for you? I'm talking loud. These guys are up your ass. Could be at USC, could be at Gonzaga, could be a neutral site, whatever it was. The toughest one that stands out. Is this a trick question? Do y'all want me to say Arizona, man, or what? Because (laughs) it's 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 close it's close um i would say the toughest places i've ever played were one san diego state when i was at usc um it's fucking so loud in there and i was a freshman man i think i might have had like two or three points that game i i was not ready for that experience at all um new mexico was crazy crazy in new mexico um I played there at USC too. And then when I was at Gonzaga, BYU was pretty fucking loud, man. Um, I know everybody there was Mormon. So it was the weirdest thing. Like they were, they were yelling so loud and they were, and they were so, so animated all game, but they wouldn't curse at all. You know, it's like fans sitting courtside talking shit and, but they're not, they're not using any curse words man so i feel like so that'd that be fun. even more aggravating sure. i feel like yeah. that'd be even more aggravating like they're not drunk <laughs> yeah. like they're yeah. hopped up yeah. on caffeine yeah, and they're sure. being like they're not swearing at you yeah man it was funny that was one of the first things i picked up on oh in um in that area too utah um those fans were a little racist though man but <laughs> but uh yeah they were pretty loud too um arizona for sure um if I had to pick one, the loudest, uh, I might say I probably would have to go with New Mexico, to be honest. I think they call it the pit down there or something like that. That shit is crazy. We're essentially saying any any stadium that was built into the ground are the ones that were the loudest. Because Viejas yeah. is just like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. right. Exactly. I'm glad yeah. you brought up San Diego State. And actually New Mexico, too, because both of those fan bases over the recent time period – they're not as crazy as they were 10 years ago. Oh, really? When we, no, definitely not. New Mexico. Well, New Mexico has been awful for year, yeah. a couple of years now, you know, so they don't get the fans, fan support. And San Diego State has been good, but those San Diego State teams back in those days were nasty Man. with, I mean, you guys had battle with them. Arizona yeah. had great battles with them for yeah. about a five-year stretch there. Those games were fun. I went out to Viejas a couple of times, and the show, as they called it, the student section, yeah. was no joke. Yeah, man. Like I said, I, I was a freshman when we first played there, and so I just wasn't ready for that environment, you know. Uh, I, I had a lot of friends on the team, too. Um, Jamal Franklin was one of my good buds on that team. Um, J.J. O'Brien was one of my good buds on that team. 
And uh, yeah, man, they were they were extremely competitive, and we had some great battles. We got a chance to play them my freshman and sophomore year, um, the second time at Galen Center. So, yeah, man, uh, great experiences to have under my under my belt for sure. Jamal Franklin went to. Did he go to West? Was it Westwind Prep? Did he go to? Is that where he went to your prep school? I'm not sure what school he went to prep, but I know he went to high school at Serrano, I believe. So Jamal Franklin has probably the greatest in-game dunk I've ever seen in my whole life. I think it was when he was at a prep school and he came out and played Pima Community College when we were down in Tucson. And this yeah. dude was so far well, and ahead of athletically than I'm everybody guess, else. I'm a guess. I'm a guess what he did. Did he throw it off the backboard? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. And like hard doing... too. Like like oh, Randy no, Johnson hard. I know. He he's been doing that man since since we were in high school, uh, I used to see him do it in in the spring league. Um, we had an IEVP spring league and IE during the summers, and I used to see him do this like every game, man, from three point line, just running down court, throwing that shit hard off the backboard, and just oh man, yeah, yeah, he's a freak athlete for sure. It was almost like we thought he fucked up, you know. Like I was, I was expecting him, like you know, a little underhand, little lob no, off the no, backboard. No. This dude fucking step back. Threw it oh, from, yeah. that, from the outfield to home plate and yeah, just yeah. hammered he, it. And he, he's a great in-game dunker, man. And he was a great player, and he's had a great career, too, even up to this point. Yeah. I mean, that's a guy that will excite the crowd. You mentioned a few of those that were the toughest places to play. On the flip, and I don't think this gets asked enough, what were some of the lamest arenas you've played? And, like, there's just zero juice. You come out for warm-ups, and it's like, this is boring as hell. Ugh. And you can let it UCLA, spray. UCLA, man. UCLA. Oh, okay. you, I mean, UCLA is a great gym, you know, and, like, it's a lot of tradition there. And, it, like, I, I used to love playing there, but just as what you would think it would be, like, as far as the, the fan engagement, it just wasn't like that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you guys could tell, I, I kind of hate UCLA, but. Uh, I mean, I was going to ask how good it is. Yeah. Yeah, we don't like yeah, it too much either. But, uh, okay. Yeah, UCLA. Um, where else? Where else was kind of lame? Um, Stanford, kind of boring. Um, Washington State, kind of boring. Uh, no schools we played really at Gonzaga. I could put on this list though, you know, because they all uh, showed out for you guys. Yeah, they were showing out uh, in those small gyms. So. Yeah, from SC, I'd probably have to say those those two three schools. I'm surprised you didn't add Oregon State to that as well. Or not? Nah, Oregon State was all right, man. They they used to get nice nice size crowd. I mean, the gym was was super old and like it kind of had a high school feel to it, but it was small, so the fans kind of were were on the court, and it was it was a lot louder than you would think for sure. So this is kind of similar question but it doesn't necessarily relate to basketball. What, was there a road trip, especially in the Pac-12? You were like, fuck, we got to go roll up to Corvallis and Eugene this yeah. week? Or was that the one, or was it the Washington one, or any other ones? that? No, nah, not the Washington one. The Washington one was, was dope, for sure. Um, yeah, the Corvallis. The Corvallis was the Corvallis fan. Uh, it was tough, for sure. I just remember driving in there and just looking around like, is this like a fucking scary movie or something here? Like, it's nothing here. 
I just felt bad. I kind of felt bad when we were driving. I was like, man, people have to live here for a full year and go to school here. Like, that's tough. But uh, yeah, Corvallis. Um, other than that, in the pack in the Pac twelve, I mean, most of the trips are pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't say we looked forward to the to the Utah Colorado one just because we were in Southern California, you know, in the great weather and having to go to like the snow and shit was was not the best, but. Those games were both super, super fun, you know, great crowds. So that kind of made up for it. Um, Stanford Cal was a great trip. Arizona's were always great. Um, yeah, other than that, it was pretty much pretty much great trips. This is the type of insight you don't get from anyone else but a player. So this has been <laughs> yeah. terrific, man. Let me, let me pivot back, though, to the Gonzaga year. And now let's focus on the tournament. So you yeah. guys made a very deep run. You losing the Elite Eight to Duke, and we'll get to that game, but the, I think it was the game prior. How good did it feel beating UCLA? Man, that, that game still stuck with me to this day. Um, I get a chance to say that my last college win ever was against UCLA, you know, um, a team that growing up you've always watched. Um, and, you know, going to SC, them being my biggest rivals um, for years, you know, um, I didn't mention, but my mom graduated from UCLA. So we've always had kind of a rivalry in the house, you know, um, just just kind of making fun and talking to each other. And uh, yeah, that was that was a great feeling, man. And the Sweet 16, getting a chance to play UCLA, um, a team who I had not that much of success um, against up until that point getting a chance to not only play them and beat them earlier in the season, but a chance to beat them for the second time in a year, man, that was, that was all I wanted really. So unfortunately the next game after that, you lost to the number one seed Duke. And I mean, that's just yeah, a man. game. I mean, that's a game that every college basketball player probably dreams of playing is yeah, an elite sure. eight game type against Duke. So not to bring up bad memories, but what's it like to play against like a Coach K, a Duke, and just a team of that caliber in that type of situation? Uh, like you mentioned, man, that was like a childhood dream coming true. You know, um, it, it kind of sucks that we had to play them at that point in the time. Um, it would have been a lot better to meet them in the Final Four, I think. But, um, I mean, if you're going to lose to anybody, um, Duke is the best team you could probably want to lose to, you know. Um, especially that team that we lost. Yeah, especially that team that we lost to that ends up winning the championship. Um, so yeah, just a great, great, great experience, man. Getting the chance to play on, on such a, at such a high level on such a big stage, you know, with, with everybody watching and, um, yeah, that was pretty much, uh, that, that pretty much affirmed to me, me as far as just making my decision going to Jaga, you know, um, made me just happy with the decision that I had made and. Yeah, it just kind of made me feel like I was I was where I was supposed to be. So yeah, it was great, man. Except for the losing part. <laughs> <laughs> was that the toughest game to prep for all year? I mean, you, you think about the days between a Sweet Sixteen victory, which is usually either on yeah. a Saturday or Sunday, and then you're back at it Thursday for the Elite Eight game. Take us through like Monday through Wednesday. Was that just the most focused you've seen a group? I mean, it's it's impossible to really prep for a game like that under two three days, you know. So is that's the thing about the tournament you're so focused on each game even though we knew if we win this game we might play duke the next round um we're still focused on playing ucla and beating ucla and so we had two other games before that and we were just focused on each game game by game so we really had no time to prep for duke man and 
that was kind of one of the things that sucked about the tournament. Um, if we would have won, we could have gotten to that final four and then you get another week to prepare. You know, we had like a week to prepare for UCLA um, after the first round. So going from a week to prepare to having to prepare in I think maybe two, three days, um, it was tough, especially preparing for such a good team like Duke with like five or six NBA guys on there, you know. So I always say, man, if if uh, if we had to lose anybody, it was it was good to lose to them, man. But um, I feel like that was the worst side of the bracket to be on for us, to be honest, man. And we 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 kind of fucked ourselves, man. Uh, losing to Ari- losing to Arizona didn't hurt us so much, but. That loss on, on senior night, man, to BYU really, really fucked us up, bro. It doesn't get talked about enough, but we were a lock as a once. And that loss to BYU was like your only loss in conference that season, right? Yeah, man. Um, it was it was a really tough loss for us. Um, at senior night, you know, um, we were undefeated at the time in the WCC. Only had one loss that that whole season, which was Arizona, and. Uh, yeah, we were, I think, number two in the country. So, um, like I said, we were a lock for the one seed, you know, and we get that one seed. We don't have to see Duke until the final four. Um, we get that two seed, man. We lose to BYU. We get that two seed, and and the rest is history. Well, and that was right before Gonzaga kind of had that benefit. Like, like we said multiple times on here, before they had that benefit of the doubt, like, oh, there are a national championship contender every year. Yeah. So even that one loss, people are ready to just flick you guys off the off the pedestal, just like, oh, yeah, well, they didn't go undefeated, so fuck them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Gonzaga gets a lot of hate, man, for sure. But uh, uh, I was glad, and, and as a unit, we were glad uh, we could just show during the tournament that – we were able to compete against anybody, you know. Even that Duke game, um, yeah, we lost. But uh, up until maybe about five to ten minutes left in the game, we were we were really competing at a high level too. Um, even got the lead for a little bit in that second half there. So, uh, yeah, it was good for. I think it was really good for the program um, for that exposure, you know. And I and I think it, like I said, we kind of set the trend and it kind of helped that program move along to where it's at now. And every year you see now their their final four national championship contenders, you know. So it feels good knowing that uh knowing that I kind of helped uh helped the school in that way. Absolutely. And another individual that's helped the program for X amount of years or he, he used to, uh, as Arizona guys, we need to know how's it like playing for Tommy Lloyd? Oh man, uh it was great. You know, um kind of made the joke that he was he was the longest tenured assistant coach I had ever seen, man, in my life. Like I was like, man, what are you gonna like leave? And now it's great to see him finally Arizona with such a great team, you know. But uh yeah, Coach Lloyd, he was great. Um really detailed. The the staff of Gonzaga is really detailed, and that was the first thing I noticed. Um really into analytics. Um really into culture and team camaraderie and then um, just being detailed on the court, um, making as few to none mistakes as possible, um, playing the most efficiently, playing the most efficient way as possible. And um, yeah, they, they kind of, they kind of capulated that uh, for us, man. And all the coaches were really great there. Um, Took basketball extremely serious and um, coached us hard every day. So 
Gonzaga is playing USC in an Elite Eight somewhere in the future. All they right. did it last year. Yeah, well, I was okay. Say. Another, okay, I guess last year, but another one. I guess another one in the future. Whatever. What what jersey did you wear last year? Who I had, you I had for? fans what are we asking doing me on. I had fans asking me on Twitter who was I taking, and I just put the emoji with the lip sealed. Man, I was like, I'm not getting in the middle of this, man. Uh, it's tough for me, you know, because. One is the school I graduated from, you know, and USC was like my dream school growing up. Like, um, it's just su- such a special place to me. And uh, Gonzaga is a special place to me as, as well, just, just considering the run we made and, and the, the team that we had, you know. So uh, it would be tough for me. Um, I, I just would stay out of it, to be honest with you. I don't want any alumni mad, mad at me. I still... I still uh, have some have some connections I need to keep keep uh, <laughs> keep good and as far as both schools go, man. There you go, man. You got a career in politics if whenever <laughs> whenever you uh, take off the basketball shoes. Yeah. Uh, hey, we'll get you out of here on these last couple questions. Point yeah, blank, sure. period. In your heart of hearts, is Gonzaga ever going to get over that hump? Because that's all they're missing is a national title. Do you yeah. believe that's going to c- come through to Spokane? Oh man, I think it has to be coming soon. You know. Um, to 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 keep making it back um, so far every year just shows you at how high of a level they're playing at, you know. And um, yeah, I think it's only a matter of time. Um, if you if you keep keep fighting and, and just keep getting these high recruits, they're getting, um, you know, they're they're only getting better as far as the recruiting is going, as far as the exposure is going. And um, the cream of the crop is, is going to just continue to go to Gonzaga, you know. Um, they have a great connection with with getting overseas talent. Um, they have some really great recruiters, and the system they have there is is extremely efficient for college basketball. So, um, I think they're just they're just a few a few um, steps away, um, if if any steps away. You know, um, I, I could see one in their new future for sure, and uh, I'll be excited to see either one from them or hopefully USC too. You know, they're they're moving in the right direction too, man. Um, I think they're in the top 25 right now. So I would love to see a national championship from, from either one of uh, my uh, alumni for sure. Yeah. Both schools certainly on the rise. We'll let you out of here. Last question. We yeah. mentioned him. Great friend of the program, Jamal body, slim body. Were you, able, were you ever, ever able to uh, get your paws on his book, the nerdy McFly manifesto? Did you ever hear? About no, that? I actually haven't, man. Uh, I, I just recently saw he was, he was listed as like a, top 40 under 40 or or something like this man and i and i had congratulated him um haven't got a chance to talk to slim in a while i didn't even know he had a book man so uh i'll definitely try to try to try to get my hands on that but uh slim was a great guy man he was there for me when i was uh when i was a, a, basically a kid man 18 19 living in la uh he was he was such a big part of our team you know guys like him don't really get the, the appreciation um because he wasn't uh, actual coach, you know, but so important to our program, helping us out, getting us food. Uh, real quick, I remember one time my my car got fucking towed, man. Uh, living in L.A., that's going to happen to you, bro. You're going to get a lot of tickets and a lot of toes. And uh, I didn't know what to do, man. And I called Slim, and he, he just helped calm me down, man, and took me to get my car, and everything was all right, man. But I was freaking out at first, bro, for sure, so. I got a lot of stories about Slim, man. He was great. Uh, some I can't say on here, man. But, yeah, Slim is my guy for sure. 
Oh, that's a hell of a story, man. Glowing, glowing words. So I'm glad we we got him on the podcast. Well, hey, like I said, thank you so much for staying up. I know you said you, you do that usually for your family. You're you're part of the theater and college hoops family now, man, whether you like it yeah. or not. This is really fantastic, Byron. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. No, I appreciate you guys for having me, man, for sure. Good luck with everything moving forward. All right. We want to thank uh, Byron Wesley for hopping onto the program. I was shocked shocked when he said it was 1 a.m his time more shocked than logan roy when he received that dick pic from uh roman roy so i mean that's that level of shock right there uh but incredible incredible stuff from byron he had some wonderful stories for us like i said got up at 1 a.m i could barely even get the shark to come in on on weekdays so we want to thank byron for jumping on let's go ahead and finish it up here now with a few items some news notes i'm going to give you guys the floor shark i know you have some very strong thoughts on your boy your boy kwanzo martin uh struggling a little bit at mizzou unless you want to address my little jab that i got i got for you uh, just cheap jab. It's a cheap jab right there. I, I got nothing. I mean, it, it, it's true. I can't show up at one of the more. I mean, you never asked me about one of the mornings, so maybe I could show up for one of those. Um, but no, I mean, fair jab. You know, that's the thing with I take jabs at you. I take jabs at Taylor. You guys get so sensitive all the time. Look how I just gracefully handed, handled that. All right. I absorbed it. I kept moving. I'm running the football four yards at a clip. All right. It's no big deal. I can keep going with it. Uh, but to the point that you just uh, teed up for me here. Look, I don't, I don't like doing this. I'm not proud of doing this, but I'm compelled to do this. Ponzo Martin is falling apart in Columbia. Who would have seen this one coming? They're four and four. They got losses to Florida State, whatever that's going to happen. Wichita State, you should probably win that one. At Liberty, okay, that's bad. Oh, by the way, you lost by 21 at Liberty. And you also lost to Kansas City. All right, this isn't the Kansas City Chiefs. This is some college in Kansas City called Kansas City. Kwanzo, it is going in the wrong direction. You're in your fifth year. I like the guy. I've always said he seems like a phenomenal person, but I'll never forgive him for walking out on Knoxville uh, when he did. Even though we didn't want him, you we get rid of you. You don't get rid of us. All right, that's the that's my logic on all this. Maybe he turns it around. Good guy, uh, but just really not a good basketball coach. The other one I want to focus on is the other guy that I've been attacking for the longest period of time. And people always get on me when I do this in the moment. Um, Penny Hartwell. I mean, at, at, at which point do you just have Larry Brown just get up and do everything or Rasheed Wallace get up and do everything or the whore on the street corner get up and do everything? Like really anyone get up there and do anything other than what Penny Hardaway is. And he's making it worse in his postgame con- uh, comments where he's just completely throwing everyone under the bus, including the bus driver. I mean, at what point are you going to take some accountability for your horrible performance? You have more talent on that team than maybe the Houston Rockets. I mean, they may have more talent on that team, just base level talent than the Houston Rockets. Um, but, hey, I was right on that one. By the way, you see the picture of uh, Zion Williamson, too? Where, where are my guys at for that one? I said Zion Williamson. This That was like the first thing we discussed, the first episode right. of the show was Zion Williamson. You just basically said it was up there. Yeah, was right that was then. pretty much when it, when it launched. No, I said he was a lot of fun. He's going to be a lot of fun for Duke. I didn't mention at all anything about his NBA career. Yeah, but th- that photo is is certainly troubling. But if we're just building a column right here, you know, you got the things Shark was right about on one side of the piece of paper. You got the things Shark was wrong about on the other side of the piece of paper. The right column is getting filled up. All right, we're talking Zion. We're talking Seton Hall. We're talking Oregon. 
We're talking. Why are we talking Seton Hall and Oregon? I, I was on the. I was on the before it was niche. All right. <laughs> or, uh, the level. The level of delusion in your head is well, that. That's something that I'll we were what, right about. You're a deluded lunatic. Fair enough, but I was wrong about one thing, and you you can get me on this. I'm, I'm going to stand up. I'll take. I'll take the uh, the punishment. I was wrong about Scotty Barnes. That guy is nasty in the NBA. All right, he was terrible with Leonard Hamilton, but he's nasty in the NBA. So that, that's my Shark. point. Yeah, go ahead. Shark, do you have any thoughts on your boy Mark Turgeon? Uh, so again, this is kind of a unique situation. Sounds like he wasn't fired. He left on his own terms. He pulled the quads. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I don't want I, you. I, that's a, that's a right in my column, by the way. I've been on Turgeon's ass for so like I, two years. He got screwed by COVID. I said I keep saying this. That team that going into that 2020 tournament, you guys forget he won the Big Ten. Okay, he won the Big Ten that year. All right, and he had Jalen Smith, who was a better player than Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton, as we all know, uh, they had a good team. They had uh, Anthony Cowan Jr., a senior point guard. They had Marcel, who everybody loves on Marquette right now. They had Ayala, who was a good ball player. That was a very good basketball team. Everything that you could want. They won the Big Ten. They were going to go on a run, and then COVID happened, and then the next year happened. They beat UConn in the first round of the tournament last year. Everybody loves Bobby Hurley. All right, I mean Danny Hurley. Excuse me. Um, he won that tournament game. Now they stink this year, but he just got worn down by hacks like yourself, Sue. I mean, you just keep going after him over and over again. He looks around. It's like, what am I doing here? Yeah. I'm Mark Turgeon. I would have yeah, won the I'm tournament Tur- back in. I would have won back in 2020. My, what am I doing my, right now? Yeah, my ceiling is a Sweet 16, and Maryland deserves something better than that. The people so. ignore that fact. I think it's fair that it, it's it, not it, a fact. You can't say it's a fact when no, you're they just ignore out the, hypothetical. No, 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 no. Everyone says. Everyone says that he's never done anything. And that just ignores probably his best team that he ever would have had. So you got to at least bring that. I understand that he had walked away. He's worn down. He didn't have the success that you should have in Maryland, which, by the way, I, did you guys talk about coaching candidates for that one yet? Maryland? Yeah. Sean Miller. Sean Miller. It's a good one. What about Kevin Willard? Kevin Willard's a good fit. Miller or Willard? <laughs> Where am I? The, the, the Mallard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there'll be a lot, a lot happening in the coaching world for sure. Penny troubling stuff there in Memphis. I mean, some of his comments really are ridiculous. And I think I know what he's trying to do is do this new school way of, or maybe it's an old school way of just like firing up his team, but it really just comes. I mean, maybe I need to hear the audio, but when I read it in print, it just looks terrible. And I tweeted a couple of weeks ago. I said, Oh, Memphis uh, has started the season pretty hot and I haven't said a word about them. Maybe I should. And that was the kiss of titch because they've lost a couple straight now as well. Uh, you bet you bet against them against Ole Miss. Who did they lose to after that game as well? No, they uh, lost before it. Uh, they played earlier in the week. They lost to Georgia, who's also terrible. Georgia so, lost to Ole Miss. Didn't they lose to someone else after Ole Miss? No, I think it went Georgia, then Ole Miss. Okay. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're getting beat down by average. I mean, Georgia's terrible. Uh, Ole Miss, we'll see. Or Kermit Davis can coach. But it it's – it's crazy. Like you want, I, I personally, I want them to be good. I want the young talent to prosper. I want Penny Hardaway to be a face in college basketball and I'm rooting for it to happen. He's just not giving it to me. It's not, it's not helpful whatsoever. And he's like upset about the effort his team's giving like, bro, you're the one that constructed this roster, right? Taylor, you're forgetting about a 20 point loss or 19 point loss to uh, Iowa state in there as well. Well, that was before these ones. And I was well, I'm just, saying, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, yeah, right. No, but and the thing with Penny, what I would be upset about if I was a Memphis fan, and we know a lot of Memphis, fan, excuse me, Memphis fans, is that he just has no consistency in what, where, what his, uh, I guess his 
role is going to be as a coach of that team. If you go back a couple of years, that Rick Barnes game, when he was complaining about us balling up our fists, when he was defending his players, he's going to be a player's coach. He's going to have their back no matter what. It was preposterous that he thought we were about to fight him in the middle of the game. But, hey, you're going to take that position. Now, all of a sudden, he's just throwing these guys under the bus for lack of effort left and right. So what, what is it going to be, Penny? Are you going to have everyone's corner, or are you just going to shift next year where you're going to just be gumdrops and butterflies on the sidelines with him again? How do you feel if you're – 81 year old Barry Brown on the sideline during this. Uh, dude, like, what's he doing? Go. I don't feel bad for him at all. Yeah, you made the conscious go, decision to go there. Go golfing or something. Yeah. You're 81. Go be with your family. Hold your grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. You're old as fuck. There you go. I'll splice yeah. that in. Old as fuck. Gosh. Yeah, I don't know what Larry Brown is doing. Just go be with your family, please. Uh, so that's in the coaching world, of course. Penny having trouble. Quanzo having trouble. Turgeon no longer there at Maryland. The Terps are are uh, free of him. I know they're happy about that, at least. Taylor, I want to get your thoughts on the Pac-12 struggles outside of the L.A. schools in Arizona. I think I, I, was, I was doing a bit of hosting, so I wasn't paying that much attention Friday night. But I think, did I see... Oregon lost to ASU at home. Uh, it's just been a terrible conference outside of the LA schools in Arizona, right? Well, let me also say, and this is without bias, that Arizona State's fucking terrible. They scored 10 whole American points in a half last week. Lost Qu- by Quanzo followed that up with like 12, by the way. Yeah, lost by 30 to a team that only scored 59 points in Washington State. A team that also is fucking awful. Um, Oregon... Apparently, Dana Altman was only put on this earth to beat Sean Miller, and that was the only thing. So when Sean left the conference, now Dana's like, yeah, fuck, I've accomplished all of my goals. Sean's gone, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. But they're terrible. Bobby Hurley probably won't even last the year, uh, I would say, at this point. Um, Washington State is terrible. Cal is terrible. Colorado, not good either. Washington, another coach that's going to get fired, and Hopkins. Oregon State, who had actually a very successful run in the NCAA tournament last year, is one and eight this year. I don't know if that's a bigger. There's a bigger example of a fluke because they bring back pretty much everyone that that was part of that elite eight run, and now Terrible. yeah, they're one and eight. Yeah, yeah, and with losses to everybody. I mean, like everybody, they make Quanzo Martin's losses look like actually good losses. So very, I would say. You know, we've been kind of hyping up the West Coast Conference. And, of course, as soon as we did that, St. Mary's and BYU decided to also have fucking terrible losses, too. But uh, Pac-12 kind of strikes me as how the West Coast Conference does in some years, where the best teams in the conference are extremely good and everybody else is just terrible. I mean, I guess you would only you could at least hang your hat on the fact that Arizona is much, much better than was expected. Uh, But without that, if Arizona wasn't, good this year where would this conference be they would be in the absolute gutter at least they have um you know their two flagship schools in arizona and ucla as the two you know top schools so they'll probably the conference as a whole will get a little bit of a pass because of that um but yeah really an incredibly bad start for the pac-12 this year yeah, I mean, credit to the Trojans as well. They've been consistently good now for the past three or four years under Andy Enfield, which is exactly what we were discussing there with Byron. Uh, but yeah, it's it has been it has been a pretty weak performance outside of those three. We'll see how we move forward. Uh, if if the Shark really wanted to pounce on me, he'd bring up the Dan Altman Oregon pick that I have, Dan of the Don, uh, to win the Pac-12. It's not looking too terrific right now, but I'm hoping 
that maybe he's getting all of his losses out now in non-conference. Don't worry about it, but Heineke, WFT, we've won four straight. I'm going to lay off you. Let's just keep rolling. Have a, have a really just a terrific Wednesday when you get up tomorrow, too. Can you do that for me? I can do that. Providence College. Do we rank them? When do we rank the PC Hyenas? Right, they're eight and one, I believe. They're they're playing Vermont tonight as we record this. Ed Cooley has got the boys off to a very hot start. I think the best start under Ed Cooley. Um, they have not been, yet been ranked. I think if they win this week, though, if they continue to win this week, we'll see him in the top twenty-five next year. Shark should uh, should the Friars be ranked at this point right now as we record? Because I think they should. I think they should as well. I mean, they got that win over Texas Tech, and everyone looks at Texas Tech as a program that lost Chris Beard, and you would assume that they lost their heart and soul as well. Well, they didn't, actually. They still returned some good ball players that they had. That was a good win for Providence. They were actually the underdogs in that game. And you look at kind of the rankings, you know, what Providence should be ranked. Uh, you look at people that Memphis was ranked last week. Why couldn't Providence slide up into that spot? Well, you look at the bottom half of it, you have LSU who's undefeated. They, they moved in. Um, there's – tough to find a spot. So there's an argument to be made on both sides. I'm, I'm kind of fence sitting right here, to be honest with you, but I think Providence is a tough team. Um, and Nate Watson has kind of proven his, his reputation at this point this year, even though he didn't play that well a few games ago. So my argument for them to not be ranked is, do you think Providence is better than Illinois right now? I think uh, they could, I think you could make an argument. Okay. I'm just saying Illinois is not ranked either. Um, you know, and they just, well, have- they got two losses though, right? Well, yeah, I'm just, but yeah. you know, I'm just saying that if 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 your neutral site, who's going to be better now? Providence doesn't even have a vote right now. Yeah, so that, take, I think that's outrageous. That's a little more outrageous. I'll give you that. I'm not necessarily sure they sure, sure they should be ranked because you still have you know a good St. Bonaventure team, a North Carolina, an Illinois, a Xavier that aren't even ranked that are receiving a lot of votes. Yeah, I mean, I think right now what I'm I'm just trying to cover my ass so the hyenas. Don't come down on me. Yeah, that's on you, Taylor. Now they might be coming. They might be raining hellfire on you. You can't be afraid of them. You just got to look them in the eyes and just lob something back at them. You know they're gonna. They and this, I respect them for this because it's cool when you can have when you're right when you got the number next to your name, even if it's in December or January. And I know we all know that means nothing come March, but you know it's it's good to build excitement for the program. They've done enough this year, and they look good as well as they're playing to beat the shit out of URI in a rivalry game. And URI's got two mountain men that can block a ton of shots, so they're finding different ways to win. Uh, and you got to give them credit. Horschler's been great shooting the three. The Indiana transfer, I forget his name, but uh, Durham, Durham, good ball player. I mean, they're 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 a classic Providence team. So it's just a question of whether or not they're going to choke again like Ed Cooley does in March. <laughs> Plus, it's going to take at least another week or two for the pollsters to get over the, was it 18 or 20-point loss they had to Virginia a couple last week or two weeks ago. So it'll take a minute for them to rebound from that, at least in the eye of the voters. Another thing that I wanted to bring up between that Providence-Texas Tech game, you had mentioned it, Shark Chris Beard. Uh, they replaced him with a guy who looks just like Larry King. This guy does not look like a, a college basketball coach. He looks like an accountant. He looks like a, a reporter that's on the front lines, maybe. Uh, yeah, the, one of the more misplaced individuals. I don't even know his name. Maybe I'll get to know him as the season progresses. But that Texas Tech coach is something. Can I give you a little idea right here? Now, yeah, sure. Now that you just mentioned that, because we were doing this a little bit with the uh, uh, Jared Haas as well, right? I mean, we're yeah. talking about coaches – that look like they should be doing your taxes rather than coaching your college basketball team. Why can't we put together a little collage or something, you know, put these faces, these guys up there and just say, you know, just a funny tweet. You know, you can, you can, you can run with that. You know, I'll give you the idea. You run with it. 
Make, make, make something out of that clay. Good feedback. All right. Uh, one quick item before we finish it off with, please, sir, I want some more. I saw your tweet the other day, Shark. Bill Vinovich used to ref college basketball. I thought the only crossover was Sterator. Vinovich did too? No. <clears throat> Vinovich did it. I mean, I was bored watching that Monday night football game last night when the picture just ran it every single down. Uh, but, and this might become a hobby of mine, just watching football games that I have no interest in and looking up what the ref does for his profession. That, that fascinates me. Everyone knows Ed Hockey was an attorney. Um, There's the guy that was like a hog farmer a while ago, but I'm going to start doing it with everyone. Jerome Bogart, what are you doing during, in July? What's your job? I'm going to, I'm going to look into that, but Vinovich CPA accountant, perfect. Uh, but he also coached basketball, like, excuse me, ref basketball in 2007. I think I recall him saying he did a tournament game between, might have been Arizona and, um, I want to say Indiana or something. I, no, Illinois and Arizona, maybe. Do you guys ever play? Well, I mean, Illinois, Arizona is one of the more heartbreaking losses in no, craziest I know. games. It could have but, been West Virginia. That was like the Joe, I know. what's what his was name? The... Joe, Joe Alexander game? That could have yeah, been it. I don't know, I don't know the exact That was maybe. in 2007. Yeah. So did Vinovich. Maybe Vinovich did that game. <laughs> let's get him on. Let's see if let's see if he can. Uh, I, I I remember that was a pretty nondescript, boring tournament game, much like the Monday night game that he officiated. Yeah, but I didn't know. I did, I thought it was strictly territory. That was the crossover guy. It is well, weird to see uh, names of uh, referees in normal settings. Like I see Ed Hockley is a part of a of a. Uh, law firm here in Arizona. So I see like the yes, just yesterday I saw the hockey Lee like ad on the side of a bus. And it's always kind of funny to see that when you know that like, he's really not probably working. He's probably working out, but his son now, you know, refing games. Probably just cleans up clients right there. The advertises for himself right there. Yeah. Gets it done. All right. Let's go ahead and finish it up now with some bets. Let's give out some winners uh, in please, sir. I want some more. Please, sir. I want some more. What? 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 Some more? A quick recap, though. Shark, the Washington take to uh, to cover against Arizona. We didn't get it. COVID. So that's a wash. No play there. Purdue to cover against Iowa. Minus 12 and a half. Did not cover. I think Purdue won by seven. Ole Miss to cover. Plus one against Memphis. Ole Miss one straight up. Taylor, uh, you did not hit on Oklahoma State covering against Wichita State. I think that was minus six and a half. Villanova, uh, tough. I think they were minus 16 and a half, and they won by 15 against UPenn, so that did not hit, although you were able to salvage it with a wazoo ass-whooping against ASU when they were plus one. Uh, Shark, I will kick it off to you. Let's get the second week started with some of your winners. Thank you, and thank you to my supporters out there as well. Don't panic that. You know, I'm one and one. But I'm last year I had several games that didn't count because of COVID. Still put more in the win column than Taylor over there. So don't worry about it. We're, we're gonna it's all about the percentage with me. And we all know that I specialize on one evening and that's Wednesday night. Last year I was hitting at about seventy eight percent clip. People started calling me Mr. Miracles. Right, Mr. last Mancini. last week you said it was a seventy five percent clip. Now it's a seventy eight percent clip. I was on it's approximates over here. You know, I'm just estimating. But they, I, you can't deny the facts. We can go back and check the tweets. I remember putting the exact numbers down. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was building a following. People love Mr. Wednesday night. They love Mr. Miracles. So I feel compelled this week to give a Wednesday night because I was prepared for it this time around. I am going to do two Wednesday night plays this week. The first one is going to be on ESPN. It's the early game. It is between West Virginia and it's between UConn. 
I look at this game, West Virginia, I believe, is favored by one point, or it might be going the other direction. I forget what it is, but I'm taking West Virginia. No offense, UConn, but Sonogo, sorry if I butchered his name, Adama Sonogo, he's hurt. He's out for a while, but also Tyrese Martin is out. So this is a whole new offense that they're going to have to revamp on the fly, and they have to do it in Morgantown. Now, let me be clear. I'm not very confident in West Virginia. I don't really like their team because of what they did to me last year against Buddy Bayheim and Syracuse in the Sweet 16. They got Taz Sherman still. They got Sean McNeil. They can shoot. Uh, but I just think that Bobby Huggins is going to do enough for a team trying to find itself in a hostile environment. That line is kind of spooky to me as well. West Virginia is not that good. All the ratings are going to say UConn, but you got to throw the ratings out the door because UConn's missing two key cogs of their offense. So give, give me West Virginia. My next pick is going to be in the Big Ten. I'm going to go Indiana plus three and a half on the road against Wisconsin. These teams are even to me. I look at these two teams and I think they're even. I like the way Indiana's playing this year. Tracy Jackson Davis is an absolute machine. That's a lottery pick if you're asking me, but they have other good players as well. Xavier Johnson, Race Thompson, Miller Cop. You know who Miller Cop is? You should know that, Father. He was running Northwestern last year, one of their best players on the team, and now he's just a role player on Indiana. I like that team. You got. Even enough squads, I'll take the three and a half on the road. And then my final one's going to be a blind line pick like I did last week, and I hit on Saturday. I'm going to hit this one again. It is Saturday night. It's in Tuscaloosa. It's at 10 p.m. Alabama is playing Houston. I hate Houston. All right, Houston, it, it, they're, they're ranked up high in all the rankings right now. Uh, Marcus Sasser shoots about 25 threes a game. Alabama is going to come out like a bull on fire in that place and beat the shit out of them. Yeah, had a huge win. You got to be worried about a letdown against after the Gonzaga win, but Alabama's just significantly better. Houston won't be able to keep up with them. Uh, Alabama's going to roll in that one. Good picks. Let's recap here. West Virginia to cover UConn, Indiana to cover Wisconsin, Bama to cover Houston. Taylor, what do you got for us? I don't know if this is a good thing for Shark, but uh, I am completely in agreement with Alabama and completely in agreement with West Virginia. Both of those games were considerations for me, especially the Alabama game, because I think pretty highly of them. Uh, I'm going to go with two Wednesday night games here. First one I'm going to go with uh, is the Eastern Washington Eagles plus 16 at Colorado. As we just discussed, the Pac-12 is awful. um, And Eastern Washington does have a win uh, against the very close rival Washington State uh, University earlier this year. So I've already knocked off a Pac-12 opponent once this year. I don't expect them to win this game, but I expect them to keep it closer than 16. So Eastern Washington plus 16. My second game is Cornell, the number two scoring team in the country, the fighting Andy Bernards, uh, going on the road to Virginia Tech and to hold it with an 18. I don't have much to say about Virginia Tech. Um, but I do think that Cornell's offense being as good as it is, uh, will at least keep the game closer than 18. And I'm going to pull a shark on this one and go blind line. Many of you should probably expect this for me to be taking this line, but I assume that Arizona is going to be the underdog on the road at Illinois. And I don't think it's bias of me as an Arizona grad to pick them uh, blind line I think very highly of Arizona this year and the specific reason why I'm taking Arizona no matter what the line may be is because Arizona probably had is one of the few maybe handful of teams in the country that have enough big men to defend uh, Kofi Coburn uh, and enough fouls to give up with Umar Balo and Christian Coloco so there we go Eastern Washington to cover Colorado Cornell to cover Virginia Tech Arizona to cover 
Illinois and Champaign. Got to be a lovely slate of games upcoming. That's all we got for you guys here today. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we want to thank one more time Byron Wesley for jumping on at that ungodly hour, but sharing some really, really wonderful stories. We're going to keep trying to get some more interview guests uh, during throughout the season, uh, but we'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.